Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Amen. We continue by reading God's Word together. You can find this scripture passage on page 43 of your pew Bible. I'm reading from the second chapter of Exodus, the first ten verses. Listen to the Word of God. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, She saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. I've been your pastor for more than nine years, which means you are probably familiar with my work. Most of you know that most Sundays I preach from the lectionary most of the time. The lectionary is an assigned schedule of biblical readings that help ensure that the preacher makes it across the whole biblical terrain rather than just setting up camp in his or her favorite watering holes and just preaching the same stories over and over and over. So the lectionary is a good, good discipline. But you also know that once a year I like to preach through a book of the Bible because the limitation of the lectionary is that it just plucks a passage out each week, which means we don't get to enjoy the narrative thread of an Old Testament story or the progression of an argument in one of the New Testament letters, whatever. So Anyway, for the next 10 weeks, we're going to spend time in the book of Exodus. It's a great story of deliverance, and at the beginning of 2023, we could all probably use a reminder that God is still in the business of delivering. So, let's begin this wonderful story that's going to carry us for the next 10 weeks. Jacob has moved his family to Egypt had lots of children. Joseph is already in Egypt. 
he's had lots of children. Let's just say these two families have been prosperous with children. And before you know it, they're all kind of little Hebrew babies enrolled in preschool. A new king arises over Egypt. He's alarmed now at the number of Hebrew children. It doesn't take a genius to realize that in a generation, the Hebrews are going to outnumber the Egyptians, and it's going to challenge the king's power dynamics. So, the Hebrews are captured for slavery, treated harshly, but the plan doesn't exactly work because they keep having babies. Pharaoh has got to do something to stop this emerging little toddler army that's going to one day grow up and revolt. So, his next plan is to order the midwives to kill all of the baby boys who were born to the Hebrew mothers. Well, that strategy doesn't work either. Because the Hebrew midwives, when they take this life into their hands from the mother, they're just not going to go through with that kind of horrible order, even if it comes from the king. Which means we got more Hebrew babies being born. So, Pharaoh goes to plan three, which is a new law, but this time to his people. The Egyptians have been commanded that every time any of them sees a, a baby, a toddler, a, a Hebrew boy, they're to throw that infant into the Nile. The girls can live, but every male baby toddler is to be done away with in the River Nile. Bible reading is not for the faint of heart. So we get to today's story. One of the sons of Jacob was Levi, and in his family tree, there is a little boy born into the world. And like any mama with any inkling of maternal instincts, this baby's mother tries to hide this beautiful child from the dangers of the king's decree. That's easier to do when the baby's two weeks old and sleeps 90% of the time. The child gets to be about three months running and screaming all over the place. It gets a little harder. So mama makes this little basket, uses pitch and tar to waterproof the basket, sets this basin boat into the reeds of the Nile with her baby aboard. Now, did the mother know that this was the part of the Nile where the daughter of the king likes to come and bathe. If so, it's a horrible risk, isn't it? I mean, it's her father who's made the pronouncement, the death sentence on Jewish baby boys. Won't she obey her father, the king? Isn't this a risky thing to do for the mother of the boy who will become Moses? If she didn't know that this is a popular bathing spot, it's riskier still, right? I mean, you don't just leave a baby out in the wild, go to brunch, and just hope, out, hope everything works out for the best. Moses has two older siblings, Aaron, whom we'll hear about later in our Exodus story, and an unnamed sister 
who in this story is spying on the little brother in protective hope. She's there watching the basket and the baby when the princess and her entourage come to bathe for the morning. They hear the cries coming out of the basket. The princess reaches in, picks the baby up out of the basket, and the sister's heart's got to be pounding out of her chest. What is the princess going to do with her little brother? She's been ordered by her father, the king, to do away with all baby boys. And they're right there at the edge of the Nile where they've been instructed to toss these children away. But the princess looks down and takes pity on this beautiful child she's holding. And the big sister notices this, sees her chance. She runs up to the princess and blurts out, do you want me to go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse this child for you? Yes. So big sister goes and gets the baby's mother, which is also her mother, and the princess pays her to care for this child during infancy. I mean, princesses may have pity, but they don't change diapers, right? I mean, somebody else is going to be doing this. The mother takes the boy home and raises him. Then when the boy gets older, more self-sufficient, she presents him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he is officially a child of the Egyptian royal family from then on. The princess names him Moses. The the root word has overtones of rescue. She names him Moses because she has rescued him from the reeds. But as we'll see later in the Moses story, rescue becomes a fitting name for a lot of other reasons too. The story has God's fingerprints all over it, doesn't it? Only did you notice that God is never mentioned? It'd be one thing if an angel of the Lord appeared to the Hebrew mother like Gabriel appeared to Mary. Or or if she'd been given a vision, a dream, a clear sign of what she was supposed to do. She's got the life of this child who she loves more than life itself. She doesn't know what to do, and God is silent in this story. Does this resonate with anybody? I pray for divine clarity all the time. And more often than not, I'm called on to make a big decision without a clear word from God about what to do. What do we do when we've got to make hard decisions And it's not clear what God would have us do. You've heard me say before that the hardest decisions in life are not between right and wrong or between yes and no. The hardest decisions are between no and heck no. If only our lives were clean and clear, I mean, it'd be different if we always knew the best decision and then it was just up to us to muster the courage to make the right choice. But the hardest decisions are usually not between yes and no, 
but between no and heck no. Place a three-month-old in a handmade boat and stick him in the reeds of the Nile River? No way. No way. No mother would place a baby into the river, much less the edge of the Nile, where the baby boys have been sentenced to death anyway. There's absolutely no way. But keep a rambunctious toddler around to be found out and done away with. The hard decisions are not negotiated between yes and no, between no and heck no. Ethicist Joseph Fletcher kicked up a storm in 1966 when he wrote his book, Situational Ethics. And in my judgment, it deserves some legitimate critique, but at the core of his argument, I think there is a word that deserves our attention. Fletcher contends that the ruling norm of Christian decision is love. In other words, when we're stuck, when the choice is not clearly between right and wrong, yes or no, the ruling ethic should be, what is the most loving thing to do? The people who sit in my office, anguishing over a choice to make, are never caught between right and wrong, yes or no. The hard answers hover in between. You might recall that Jesus ran into some trouble over this issue. Religious officials didn't like the calls he made on some of these choices. For instance, the law was clear, very clear, about what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. And when Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, he was clearly in violation of the Sabbath law. But Jesus chose to do what was most loving. And he said, Sabbath laws were made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Yes or no, should you throw a nine-month-old baby out of a fourth-story window? No, as a rule, that's a bad idea. You should not throw a baby out of a window. But in February 2008, when the apartment building in southwest Germany caught fire, the parents of a nine-month-old baby girl had to make that horrible choice between no and heck no. And they threw her out of a fourth-story window caught below by a police officer. In 1941, Gary Cooper played the title role in the movie Sergeant York. Based on a true story, Alvin York uh, was a poor uh, young farmer in rural Tennessee who becomes a Christian and his rural roots meant that he was also an incredible sharpshooter. And so when he enters World War I, even though he's one of the most accomplished marksmen in the army, his faith won't let him kill anybody. And so he seeks uh, exemption as a conscientious objector. He's denied the exemption. So eventually he's sent into battle. And at the Moose Argonne offensive, 
he's positioned with his rifle. He's watching his comrades getting killed. The Germans are in a strong position. He sees one German soldier, a sharpshooter, up in a position who is killing off his friends. And he realizes that with one shot from his rifle, he could save dozens of lives who were being picked off. He fires and kills the German sharpshooter. Thou shalt not kill. But if I don't kill, more people will die. I said, the hardest choices are between No and Heck No. I have a good job and good job opportunity to get a good job offer in Dallas, but the kids are thriving in middle school and high school, and I don't want to uproot them. Is there a clearly right decision to make here? Some decisions are between good and better. I know divorce is wrong. I don't want to be divorced. But does God really intend for me to continue living in this oppression? I can't breathe. Is divorce always wrong? Some decisions are between bad and worse. My brother made me promise not to tell, but he's, he's into some stuff that could really hurt him. He's hanging out with a dangerous crowd. He's doing dangerous things. Do I tell my parents? I told him I wouldn't tell on him. Do I tattle on my brother? Do I lose my brother's trust? But if I don't do it, what happens to him if I... The mother of Moses is in a terrible fix. And with no clear direction from God, she takes this risk, motivated by love. She places her baby in a basket and sets in motion a drama with no assurance of the outcome, no assurance that this is going to end well. But is there a better measuring stick than asking, what is the most loving thing for me to do for the most people? God has set the world in motion, and sometimes God intervenes, and when there is a clear intervention of God, we call that a miracle. But sometimes God and humans dance. Sometimes we make decisions that affect outcomes, and it's not clear what God would have us to do. Moses' mother had no clear word from the Lord until she had to make that awful choice to leave her child in the reeds of the Nile. And when we find ourselves caught between no and heck no, I can think of no better question to ask than what is the most loving thing for me to do? By the way, you should never break the speed limit, never, unless your pastor needs a ride to the hospital. Right? What is the most loving thing to do? It might be our best call. The outcomes are never guaranteed. 
but I can live with the outcomes if my choices were motivated by the most loving thing I knew to do at the time. God is active always in our lives. Sometimes we don't hear the voice we're calling for, but God is bubbling within us all the time. And if you feel God bubbling in you to respond to a call today to become a Christian, to join this church, to make one step forward in your faith, whatever you feel God's beckoning in your life today, I invite you to respond. God doesn't whisper as often as we would like. When we do hear the voice of God, I pray we've got the courage to say yes. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.